Good morning and again welcome to the safest place on earth. We want to especially welcome Dr. Edward Fleming to the streaming service of the safest place on earth. Dr. Fleming is going to break down God's word for us on this cornerstone day of the Christian faith. But before we do that, let me introduce you and tell you a little bit about Dr. Fleming. I know Dr. Fleming personally and our relationship goes back to 2014 where we co-taught in India. Dr. Fleming is married to his childhood sweetheart Donna and together they have four children, three daughters and one son and 11 grandchildren. Dr. Fleming is an ordained minister and on his ordination, a minister said to him, Ed, you cannot teach. If you cannot teach five-year-olds, you do not belong to ministry. And Dr. Fleming says that the said charge has been the governing principle in his pastoral labors. That being said, Dr. Fleming holds a bachelor's degree, a master's in biblical studies, a doctor of theology degree, and a doctor of ministry degree. Dr. Fleming has been highly involved in ministry over the last 50 years. He's been involved in pastoral as well as mentoring ministries. Dr. Fleming is, was uh, the chaplain um, in his local district of Pennsylvania. Dr. Fleming served on various boards and as interim presidents of boards as well. Doc Dr. Fleming has traveled widely. Beside being a missionary in the United States of America, Dr. Fleming has traveled to Egypt, Ecuador, Papua New Guinea, and Mexico, and most recently in 2019, Dr. Fleming made his first trip to Durban, South Africa, where he ministered um, in a conference at Reservoirs Baptist Church, and he ministered at the Vedler Ministers Forum through a day-long seminar. We are looking forward to having Dr. Fleming come back to Durban, South Africa, after the COVID-19 um, COVID lockdown is over. Dr. Fleming loves to read, learn, teach, and train. And in 2018, he was appointed as the pastoral training consultant for Sunshine Ministries in India. Dr. Fleming has a favorite song, and the song goes like this. Should I at the gates of heaven appear to answer the challenge, what claim would, what claim have you here? What have you to offer? Yes, what is your plea? With blessed assurance, my answer would be, all I have is Jesus, all that I claim is Jesus, all that I want, all that I need, all that I plead is Jesus. My sins, they are many, my virtues are few, but the flood of my Savior will carry you through. When Christ in my place died on Calvary's tree, hallelujah, that opened God's heaven for me. All that I have is Jesus, all that I claim is Jesus, all that I want, all that I need, all that I plead is Jesus. With John Newton, Dr. Fleming would say, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Dr. Fleming, we want to welcome you to the streaming service of The Safest Place on Earth, and we're looking forward to listening how God is going to speak through you to us. Thank you, sir. Bless you. Good morning. My name is Dr. Ed Fleming. And I want to express my great joy and thanks for the privilege to preach the Word of God today on this Easter Sunday, 2020, by way of computer. This is my very first time doing this. 
As I was praying and preparing for this message, I came across a newsletter. It was in something called Preaching Today, and it was addressed to pastors. And I've been a pastor for many years, so it caught my eye. The name of the article in this newsletter was COVID-19 and Preaching the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written by Matt Woodley. Here's what it said. I'm writing this newsletter a day after the United States recorded over 213,000 cases of COVID-19. Nobody can tell us how this disease will progress or diminish. But the major media outlets are blaring out headlines such as these. Without urgent action, coronavirus could overwhelm the United States, estimates say. Or, global coronavirus cases top 1 million as economic toll mounts. Here's one. Chilling plans. Who's going to get care as the Washington State hospitals are filling up? And finally, the U.S. jobless claims soared to a stunning 6.6 million last week. A mere six weeks ago, the global economy was bursting with growth. Stocks were soaring. Our globally connected world felt invulnerable. Most of us were already making plans for our summer vacations. We weren't even thinking about death, whom Paul calls the last enemy in 1 Corinthians. Were we thinking about death? Hardly. We were all doing fine on planet Earth. But despite our scientific and technological prowess, we cannot conquer the profound fragility and vulnerability of life on planet Earth. As we're all discovering with profound humility, our global economy and supply chains are deeply fragile. Our relationships are fragile. Our political process is fragile. The rapid spread of the coronavirus overwhelm some of Europe's most advanced medical systems. A director of a hospital in Spain, traumatized by the images of the emergency care unit where he works, said this, we have sinned from too much confidence. Our bodies and even life itself are deeply vulnerable, not only to death itself, but to what the writer of Hebrews called the, quote, fear of death that makes us subject to lifelong slavery. That's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. Pastors, aren't you glad that this Easter Sunday you get to preach, even if it's a live stream sermon, what John Stott called the, quote, up-to-minute relevance of Jesus's resurrection? Stott contends the resurrection somehow resonates with our human condition. It speaks to our needs as I reckon no other event of antiquity does, or even could. In other words, we don't have to make the resurrection relevant. It already is relevant. We just need to proclaim it and apply it with joy and confidence. Of course, it isn't just an idea, a concept, or just a doctrine. Although it is truly a breathtaking and revolutionary doctrine, it is the power of God through Jesus to usher broken, fragile humanity into newness of life. As one missionary scholar said, commenting on Jesus' raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, quote, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no longer a mere doctrine. It has a living face and a name. 
Jesus is himself the presence of life, which is God's gift beyond death. To be bound to Jesus by faith is to share already right now the life that is beyond death. So says this missionary scholar. Wow. The resurrection has a living face and a name. Preachers, by the grace of God, let us reveal that living face face, and declare that death-conquering name. As I read that article, the phrase, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no longer a mere doctrine, got a hold of my heart. And it's something I want to consider today on this Easter Sunday. I want to take that phrase to mean the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just something to teach along with other Christian doctrines. It is indeed meant to affect our thinking. But in addition, it is a teaching meant to change our lives and to give us hope, literally, as someone has said, to change everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ believed as part of the gospel message, changes people from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive unto God. It changes guilty condemnation into a celebration of forgiveness and freedom. It changes anxiety into a hope that goes beyond the grave, and it can change our sinful hearts so that we will want to follow Jesus Christ. But I want you to think with me today. What if, just suppose that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead? Is the swoon theory true? What if the disciples really did steal the body of Jesus? You know, I've heard those two words, what if, or just suppose, quite a lot these last several weeks, connected to the COVID-19. What if, or just suppose, the virus had been contained in China? What if, just suppose, they had started social distancing sooner, and on and on. To these what-ifs, we really have no answer. It's just speculation after the fact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20a, the Apostle Paul makes a series of statements analogous or similar to those what-if statements. His primary concern is that if Christ was not raised from the dead, what would that mean to the whole foundation of the Christian faith? In other words, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what does that mean? I call this the argument of possibility or consideration. What if? In speaking to non-Christians about the Christian faith and salvation, perhaps a couple of examples might help. What if, just suppose, there's no God, there's no heaven, and there's no hell? But what if there is? What if, just suppose, my understanding of how to get to heaven is right, and your understanding is wrong? Well, as Paul pens his first letter to the church at Corinth, he comes to a problem that they were experiencing. First of all, let's look at the occasion surrounding his writing. A gentleman by the name of Munn, M-U-N-N, informs us in regard to the occasion or purpose for writing 1 Corinthians. And he says that it is, under, it is important to understand, it is essential to understand the occasion in interpreting any document, whether it is biblical or otherwise. I quote, 
Two circumstances provided the occasion for the first writing of Paul's letter to Corinthians. First, the Corinthians had written to Paul and asked his advice on a number of problems that were perplexing them. One of these problems was the resurrection of the dead. The other circumstance was the news which Paul received of many irregularities within the life of that church. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is dealing with the controversy over the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what that means. If you have a Bible there or something on which you can read the Bible, why don't you get it now? Open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you'll follow along, I want to read verses 12 through the first part of verse 20. Hear now the word of God. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Seven times we find the word if in that passage. What if there were no resurrection of the dead? What if Christ is not risen? What if our hope is confined only to this life? But praise God in verse 20, he begins with what I call the divine contrasting conjunction. But in contrast to the what ifs, let me tell you something that you can take to the bank, something that is absolutely true. In chapter 15, Paul alludes to some who were questioning whether or not there was even a resurrection at all. Verse 35, he says, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Mr. Munn goes on to say, although Corinth was not the intellectual center that Athens was, the Greek influence was still there. In Athens, Paul had been ridiculed because of his preaching of the resurrection found in Acts chapter 17. The Greeks considered matter evil and spirit good. Consequently, they held that a resurrection of the body was repugnant and disgusting. Corinth retained enough of this Greek outlook and influence to view the doctrines of the resurrection and the potential goodness of the body during this life with suspicion." End quote. Today, what I want to do briefly, but not exhaustively, is examine this passage of Scripture. Whereas with so many what-ifs or just-supposes, we're left with no answer. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is not the case. Time does not permit me to examine the historical evidence, of which, my friends, there is plenty. We will confine our thoughts to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20a. And I want to consider three D's, A, B, C, D. 
Number one, I'd like to look at with you the devastating consequences if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And all of the celebrations going on, thinking about the blessed truth that Christ rose from the dead three days after he was crucified, coupled with the attending application of that to our lives, should swell our hearts with praise and gratitude if we know Jesus. But let's use the argument, what if? Just suppose that will help we as Christians to be more confirmed in our understanding and conviction for the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ, that also should cause those who know not Christ to seriously think about it. Just suppose Jesus did not rise from the dead. If the dust from his earthly body is somewhere over in Jerusalem, maybe over in the corner of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea or somewhere in that vicinity, such a statement has serious, devastating consequences. You see, if that is true, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then consider these. The integrity and character of Jesus Christ, the trustworthiness of the Bible, and the sanity of those who follow Jesus, all are called into question. They are all suspect. Jesus was a liar and a good one. Four times in Matthew, he declared that he would be punished, crucified, put to death, and rise from the dead. His disciples of that day and since that day have been duped tricked into believing a lie and has led to having a false, empty hope. They do not possess eternal life. They are not headed for heaven when they die. The Old Testament, critical part of the canon of Scripture, is not valid. Why? Because it pictures and prophesies, it speaks of Jesus' resurrection in the Old Testament. Two examples are Psalm 16 and Jonah chapter 1. In Psalm 16, it speaks of one whose body would not see decay or corruption. In Acts chapter 2, Peter applies that to Jesus Christ and his body in the tomb. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says that Jonah was in the heart of the fish three days and three nights. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Moreover, Jesus is not the Son of God endowed with authority and power as he declared in the Great Commission as Paul told us at the beginning of the letter of Romans. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, all authority all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And Paul, opening his letter to Romans, says this, Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with all power because of his resurrection from the dead. Think about it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there'll be no judgment day. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching and he tells us that there is a day coming when God will judge all things. And he proved that by raising Jesus from the dead. Any work, any labor, any service done for the glory and honor of God is nothing but useless activity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that nothing that is done for Christ is a waste of time. Why? Because Jesus 
has been raised from the dead. Now, from our text of Scripture, there are five different things that are the result if Jesus did not rise from the dead. The preaching and teaching of the gospel is a waste of time. It's an exercise of futility and vanity. In verse 14, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. All we're doing is bumping our gums together. More, the whole purpose of preaching, along with the work of the Holy Spirit, is brought into question. The call to the gospel ministry as an under-shepherd is a foolish, non-valid call. Remember, it is through the preaching of the gospel that sinners are converted. The gospel that says that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Secondly, even worse, Paul and all others who announce that they have good news have no good news, but actually are false witnesses and charlatans and fakes and deceivers. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. You see, when someone bears witness falsely, they probably have an ulterior or selfish motive. Ask yourself, what would these apostles, apostles gain by lying about the resurrection of Jesus? They had preached Jesus rose from the dead and they were in prison and they gladly suffered imprisonment. They were so convinced of its truthfulness that they suffered greatly in addition to that. And despite all of that, they went to distant countries to announce it. And what became of them? All but one of the apostles were martyred. And what of those who followed their example? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 40 tells us of some terrible things that happened to those who followed Jesus Christ and lived a life of faith. Would they endure such horrific treatment if they had believed a lie? Think with me, if they were false witnesses, what an unusual kind they were. Were they thieves? Were they lowlifes? Were they drunkards? No. They were moral. They were pure in their motives. They were exemplary in their conduct. They were eminently honest and spoke with such deep conviction. Consider with me, please, if we can't trust their witness to Christ's resurrection, then can we trust anything they say? Can we even trust the Bible? What's the result? Our whole religion has no foundation because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that our faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The only conclusion we can come to is that the Christian religion is a farce, it's a sham, and it's a hoax. Why? Because Christ's resurrection is evidence that his sacrifice was accepted and that all, anyone, everyone who believes in him is justified by faith in him and that his rising from the dead is our only hope in this life and in the life to come. Folks, no resurrection, no hope. Thirdly, faith and trust in Christ is nothing but a delusion. At the end of verse 14, Paul says, and your faith is vain. And in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, 
your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Folks, if Christ did not come back from the dead, then Karl Marx was right. In 1843, he said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soulless condition. It is the opium. It is the drug of the people. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no acceptance before God, only condemnation and wrath. There's no newness of life of which Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if that's true, what should we do? Well, we should abandon such a false hope. Someone has said we should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we just die. And in that verse, Paul also mentioned that you are still in your sin. What a terrible thing that would be to be still in our sins. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 1892, a sermon he preached from which I gathered some thoughts in this sermon, said this about this passage. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Ah, can you bear that thought, my beloved in Christ, that you are still in your sins? I think that the bare suggestion takes hold upon you and terrifies you and chills your blood. A little while ago, you were in your sins. You were dead in them, covered with them as with a crimson robe. You were condemned. You were lost. But now you believe that Christ has brought you out of your sins and washed you and made you white in his precious blood. Yes, and has so changed you that sin will not have dominion over you ever again. For you now are by grace a child of God. Well, if Christ did not rise again, then you are still in your sins. Observe that, for then there's no atonement made, at least no satisfactory atonement. If the atonement of Christ for sin had been unsatisfactory, he would have remained in the grave. But he went there on our behalf as a hostage for us. And if what he did upon the tree had not satisfied the justice of God, then he never would have come out of the grave again. Think for a minute what our position would be if I stood here to preach only a dead and buried Christ. He died nearly 1,900 years ago, but suppose he'd never been heard of since. If he had not risen from the dead, could you have any confidence in him? He would still be in your sins. Well, fourthly, throughout all the ages, all who have died believing in Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation and depending on his perfect life and blood sacrifice as their entrance into heaven, they have perished forever. One of the most favorite verses in all of the scripture to many Christians is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, they did perish. And after they died, they discovered that they believed a lie. They died believing what was written in Acts chapter 13, that forgiveness of sins comes only through Jesus Christ and nothing else. But if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, they didn't go to heaven. They're not forgiven. They are not present with the Lord at the present time. Finally, from this passage of Scripture, those who confess their trust in a risen Savior, they are to be pitied. Poor suckers. Look at all the self-denying they've done. 
denying themselves earthly joys and pleasures and treasures and delights. What a letdown they will experience. To think they are denying themselves in this life, expecting to receive great rewards and joys in heaven. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, oh, how much they are to be pitied. Actually, they lose out in both worlds. Look at these consequences again. These are devastating consequences if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not rise from the dead. What are they? The integrity and character of Christ, the trustworthiness of the Bible, and the sanity of the followers of Jesus are all suspect. The preaching and teaching of the gospel is a waste of time, an exercise of futility and vanity. Paul and all others who announce that they have good news actually are liars and fakes. They don't have good news. They only have bad news. Faith and trust in Christ for salvation is nothing more than a delusion. Worse, we are still in our sins, as Charles Spurgeon commented on. Throughout the ages, it also means that all who die believing in Jesus as their only hope of salvation have perished. They no longer exist. Finally, those who confess their trust in a risen Savior are to be pitied. Those are the devastating consequences if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That's the first D. Now let me go on to the second D because the first D is not the whole story. The second D is this, the divine contrasting conjunction. But, but, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. He did rise from the dead three days after he was crucified. And since he is alive and now seated upon his throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father, listen to these truths. What does it mean? It means he's not a liar. Any labor or service for him is not a waste of time. Both the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, the inspired living word of God. Christ is God. He is going to return and there will be a judgment day. All Christians do have eternal life and they will never, ever perish. It means preaching the gospel is profitable. It's not an exercise in futility. It's not vain. God's elect will respond to the effectual call. His word will not return void. It means that all of Christ's witnesses, ministers and laity alike are witnessing to the truth. Yes, it's true, sometimes the messenger may prove unfaithful, but the proclamation is always valid and truthful. It means that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It is not a trick. It's not an opiate for handling life's stresses and uncertainties the great escape from reality because people can't cope. It is the power of God unto salvation. Moreover, all who die trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior immediately go to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. And finally, it means you don't have to pity or feel sorry for the Christian. Why? 
Well, in this life, they have eternal life. Yes, they have problems and persecutions and discouragements and heartaches and rejection and oppression. But in the midst of all that, they possess something far greater. They have eternal life, life that will never end. They have a right standing before God. They have a living hope that cannot be squelched. They have the blessed Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They have an inheritance waiting for them that cannot be defiled and can never fade away. And when they die, they will finally be home in a far better country, there to dwell forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, such are the first two Ds. First of all, the devastating consequences if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But secondly, the glorious truth that he did and what that means for those of us who know him and for all who will trust in him. The divine contrasting conjunction tells us that in verse 20. Well, there's one more D, and it is this, decision. It is decision time. If you've been so gracious as to listen to this sermon, and if God has spoken to your heart, it's decision time. Since Jesus is alive and he's on his throne and coming again, first of all, if you're a Christian, we should rejoice. We should rejoice all the time. Paul says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Yes, indeed. But on this day, this day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should remember we serve a risen Savior. We look for the return of a risen Savior. We proclaim to the lost the only hope of salvation in a risen Savior, one who is alive and accomplished his finished work on the cross of Calvary. So Christians, let this be a day of rejoicing. I wish we could get together with our fellow Christians in churches and sing and worship and, and, and study the scriptures together. But even in your home, even on the computer, we can rejoice in fellowship. And in our time alone with God this day, we can have great joy and fellowship because of this truth. But there's a second category. Actually, there's only two categories of people in the whole world. Those who are Christians and those who are not. And those who are not, whatever religion you may be, if you're not a Christian, by that I mean if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation and heaven, then you're a non-Christian. Can I say to you something today? One word. Consider. Search out for yourself the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Ah, there is plenty, even from non-biblical sources. Weigh all the evidence. Look at it. Study it. Think about it. Investigate it. Come to your own conclusion. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, no problem. You're okay. All is well. There's no hell. And things are swell. But just suppose... What if Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, was born in a manger? He came to this earth. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. 
He ascended back to heaven and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Just suppose that's true. On what, in what will you trust for your eternal destiny on that day when Jesus comes again? Because you and I and all of humanity will stand before him and give an account of our lives. I tell you, my friend, your morality, your good deeds, even your sincerity will not do. You can't earn your way. You can't pay your way. You can't work your way to go to heaven. You must, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You must confess that he is the Lord. He is God. He came, he lived, he died. He's seated on his throne. You must confess that. And you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you do, you will be saved. You will be redeemed. You will be rescued from being in your sins. You will be forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future. You will have a right standing before God. You will be justified before the court of heaven. And you will go to heaven when you die. Second Corinthians, Paul was talking about that very thing. And he said in chapter 6 and verse 2, don't wait. Don't wait. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Why is that? Because like the COVID-19 virus, we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. My friend, as one old Puritan said, the flowers that blossom in the cemetery coming soon may be blossoming over your grave or mine. We have no promise of tomorrow. Right now, this day is the day to believe on Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation than any other. You can't trust your church attendance, your good works, your good looks, your money, your retirement, your bank account, your health, anything else. Only in the name and work of Jesus Christ is there salvation. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a statement of fact. Believe, trust, cast your whole eternal destiny on the work of Christ. God will save you. God will rescue you. Let me leave you with four thoughts in order for that to come to pass. Number one, you must believe that you are a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You cannot go to heaven in that condition. Secondly, you must believe that you can't change that condition. Nothing you can do can change that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but only according to his mercy has he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. It's Jesus. You can't do anything. And so thirdly, you must believe that Jesus came and accomplished all that was necessary for you to have salvation. Every other religion in the world tells us to do 
something. Two letters, D-O. Do this, do that, and you can go to heaven. Only biblical New Testament Christianity adds two letters to that and says, done. N-E, D-O-N-E. It's not what you and I can do. It's what Christ has done, has accomplished. And if you will receive that as your salvation, you will be redeemed. And so the fourth thing is receive it. Believe it. Confess it. Take it as your own. Trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation. Let me conclude with, I think it's a song. Some of the words of that song say this. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your soul will be asking, what will he do with me? Oh, trust him today. Believe on him today. Know that he will save you. All who come to him, confessing him as Lord and Savior, will find salvation. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for the opportunity. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious time to rehearse once again the truth that Jesus came back from the dead and what it means to your people. What a glorious hope we have. Thank you that our hope is found in him. Let this day, as well as other days, be a day of praise and worship to you for this truth. And if there's anyone watching this video who has never believed on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, oh, Father, it is my prayer that they will, that they will trust in him, believe on him, and come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friend, if you did that, if you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, find a good, God-fearing, Bible-believing church and go there and tell them and become a part of a family of God. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you this day.